the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Folks, it's time once again for the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on AM 990, FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We're so glad you're with us. Pete Paquette does our engineering, does it so well. Andrew Herdliska produces the show each week for us. And I want to welcome Shane Winnings to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. He's down in the Cocoa Beach area, president of Overcomers, host of the top-ranked Pursuing Jesus podcast, and his book is out, Your Next Leap of Faith, How to Hear God's Voice and Boldly Follow. Shane so nice to catch up with you. Uh, welcome to Orlando. Yes, thank you so much for having me on. Shane, how did this book come about? What's the background here? Yeah, you know, so I'd been talking with uh, a gentleman up at the publishing group, and uh, I met him through a friend, and we got breakfast, and we were kind of just, I was sharing a little bit about myself. He just asked me, you know, tell me about your story. And as I was talking to him, he was like, this would make a great book just because it's kind of, uh, you know, it's a little bit wild, I guess you could say. And I never really thought I had much of a wild life until I looked back and saw, you know, all that happened, all that God had brought me through. And um, yeah, so we just started writing and here we are. Now I'm talking to you. It's just, it's crazy to me. Shane, uh, the book has 12 sections. Section one is simply called the Bible. Fill us in. Yeah, so uh, really this this was about um, encountering the Lord, you know, having grown up in church, and uh, but never really knowing God. And so the result of that was, you know, living a life just like anybody who doesn't even know Him, you know, except I attended church. And um, so really the first, first chapter here, you know, called Being Willing to Face the Truth, it was God confronting me for the first time in my life saying, you've never lived for me one day. You know, I heard him say that to me one night when I was sitting on my bed, and I immediately was convicted of my sin, and I gave my life to Jesus. And that night really changed my life forever. Wow. <clears throat> now we move to section two, alleged Bible contradictions. What are you writing here, Shane? Oh, you know what? I think we might be looking at two different texts. Um, you're looking at your next leap of faith? Well, your, your book breaks down the Bible and then the alleged Bible contradictions and Old Testament challenges, questions about God, questions about the Holy Spirit. Um, so let's, let's, uh, let's continue after your, uh, your, your uh, conversion. What's the next step? What happened next in your life? Yeah, so really after that, um, I just began walking with the Lord, and, um, you know, He showed me what it was like to, um, He began to show me what it means to give Him everything. And, you know, I would look at the scriptures where Jesus would invite people to follow Him, but they had a response other than yes. You know, they said, I will, but first let me do this. And I didn't want to fall into the category of people who said, but first, to the Lord. I really wanted to, to, you know, aim to be someone that when God asked me to do something, he had my 
my yes right away, even if it wasn't comfortable, even if I didn't fully understand it. And uh, so that was kind of a pivotal time in my young Christian walk. You know, I've only been with the Lord for seven years now, but Mm. um, just right out of the gate, you know, learning to be as obedient as I possibly could. And I haven't been perfect at that, but, um, you know, I, I think with all of us, our goal is to obey the Lord every time he speaks to us. And so that's what he was working in my heart at that time. Shame, talk to us about overcoming distraction, deception, and trauma. What, what's that about? Yeah, so following, um, following that chapter, I kind of jumped back in my life to give a little more context. And in the years leading up to this encounter that I spoke about with the Lord, um, you know, I was in the military. I had deployed to Afghanistan um, came back and was just working through a lot of trauma from that. And one of my best friends, you know, died in a tragic car accident right after the war. I was working through that. I was working through addiction um, with alcohol and just kind of trying to find myself in the world, even though I was still, you know, on a worship team at a mega church. And it's not like I woke up and was like, okay, I'm, I'm ready to live two lives today. You know, my my goal was always to just do the best that I could, but I would find myself in these situations where I'm living just like anybody else. You know, the only difference is I'm playing on a worship team at a church. And over a period of time when trauma compounds and when you don't have the freedom of Jesus, when you just have church attendance or even service to God— uh, you realize that that's not what's going to set you free. And so I began to fall into this spiral of, uh, you know, being very depressed and not even wanting to be alive anymore. And it mm. was really at the peak of that where I had this encounter with the Lord. My goodness, what a story, Shane. My guest, and he's uh, not far from us down in the Cocoa Beach area, Shane Winnings, your next leap of faith. Um, Shane, f- reaching the end of self and finding God, I'm sure that chapter will be very helpful to people. Yeah, I sure hope so. Um, you know, I, I, I really dove into kind of the darkness of uh, being consumed by, you know, my circumstances and my thoughts and my trauma and all of that. And I really tried to paint that picture because I believe a lot of people will identify with, you know, being at a very low place. And the reason that I showed that was to contrast with how wonderful it was to encounter God. And it was through this encounter with God and through um, just beginning to pray and spend time with him and reading the word that the heaviness broke and the depression lifted and the, the addictions broke off. And I began to have a, a truly new life. Like the Bible says, you know, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. I actually got to walk that out and experience it. And it was, um, it was incredible. And, I, you know, I'm still walking that out as we all are, if you're a believer. And um, it was, uh, it was a very wild time in my life, because like I said, I, I didn't want to be alive anymore. And so God took my life I gave it to him. I said, I don't want this anymore. And he gave me a brand new life. And that is, that's the gift. That's salvation. What a story. What a story. Now I want you to talk to us about moving from walking in the world to walking with God. That's important, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, James talks about this, but faith without works is dead. And we know that we're saved by grace through faith. But if you have faith in God, then that will compel you to do good works. The Bible says we were created to do good works. Um, So becoming a Christian doesn't mean, okay, cool, you know, I got my plane ticket to heaven one day, now I'm just going to sit on the couch and do nothing. Being transformed by God motivated me to begin to walk this thing out. And as I read the Gospels, I saw what Jesus and the disciples did, and I just thought, man, I want to do this. And so I began to pray for people everywhere I went, anyone with a cast or a cane or crutches, anyone who looked sad or sick, I would pray for them and just believe for God to heal them. And 
after a while, I began to see a lot of healings on the street, which caused me to preach even more and pray for even more people. And suddenly, my life was no longer just, you know, attending church, but it was becoming, you know, what Jesus paid for. And so I would be in, either in the police academy during the day and preaching and praying for people in the evening, or when I became a cop working nights, I would work all night, get some sleep, and then I would go out in the streets and parks and fields and stuff and preach and, and pray for people. And, and really, that just became my life. Wow. Now it's time for discovering that a supernatural life is normal Christianity. Shane, uh, we want to hear about this. Yeah, you know, um, that's really the goal of this chapter is to um, get people to understand that um, miracles should not be um, an exception. They should be commonplace. You know, in Jesus's ministry, the miraculous and supernatural you know, um, instances like healings and, and deliverance and things like this, they were, they were normal. In fact, everywhere he went, that's what he did. And so we have to see that Jesus may have left the earth, but he gave us his spirit to continue the good works. And the problems of mankind have not changed. So, you know, some people say, well, Jesus is gone and the disciples are gone. And so, you know, no longer, uh, are we operating in the Spirit? But that's not true, because if you read the Bible, you see that Jesus gave the disciples a mandate to make more disciples and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, which includes believing in the supernatural. And so as a Christian, the Bible says these signs follow those who believe. You know, they'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. They'll cast out demons, all these things. And so my heart in this chapter, and, and you know, I'll, I won't go too much into it. You'll have to read it. But it will provoke you to say, you know what? I think this could be a normal part of my life. Um, you know, when someone tells you, when a family member says, hey, I'm sick, pray for me, a lot of people would agree, yeah, I pray for my family member. But how often do we actually believe that they could get better immediately? How often do we actually think when I pray for you, something in the supernatural is going to happen that's going to cause your physical body to respond. And so this chapter really goes to uh, provoke the everyday Christian to begin to open their mind to the idea that God still wants to move through their life in a supernatural way. Well, we've got to take a break, uh, and then we'll be back with Shane Winnings, president of Overcomers, Inc., his book, we're talking about it, Your Next Leap of Faith, how to hear God's voice and boldly follow. And when we come back, the first topic for Shane to discuss, wielding your spiritual sword. This is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990, FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Shane Winnings joins us from the Cocoa Beach area. Your Next Leap of Faith, that's the book. And Shane, um, as I mentioned before the break, wielding your spiritual sword, what's that about? Yeah, it's really to uh, empower. You know, a lot of this book, I don't want anyone to think you're buying a book so you can hear about my life. Um, that's not, I'm not that interesting in that regard. This book is to equip the everyday believer to walk out a life of boldness. And one thing we have to understand is that we've been given a sword. Jesus did not leave us empty-handed. You know, we know that we have the armor of God, but do we actually believe that it does anything? Do we actually believe that we have a sword of the Spirit? Do we actually believe that we can wield that sword against the kingdom of darkness that's at work in our lives? You know, Philippians 2 tells us that we live in a twisted and perverted culture, but we were created to shine in the midst of that, holding fast to the word of life, which is the sword of the Spirit. And so in this chapter, I'm really encouraging people to push back against the darkness. And, and one way that we do that, and it might not be what many are thinking of right now, is declaring truth. You know, the Bible says that Jesus, when he returns, he's going to have a sword 
coming out of his mouth. It's the Word of God, which is sharper than, than any two-edged sword. It can divide bone from marrow, uh, soul from spirit. And so when we speak truth in the face of lies, in the face of adversity, in the face of persecution, what we are doing is we are wielding our spiritual sword. We're bringing light into a dark situation. And the Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty, there's freedom. And so we must partner with the Spirit of the Lord by declaring what He's already said through His Word, no matter our circumstance. And that's what this chapter really tries to equip people to do. Shane, uh, tell us about receiving a vision from the Lord and risking everything to follow Jesus. Yeah, so at this time, I had begun preaching on social media, and you know, I quickly rose to about a half a million followers on uh, the app called TikTok. You know, it's, uh, it's primarily known for teens and young adults, you know, dancing and doing all these wild, perverted things on there. And there were a couple people, uh, one of my best friends, who were on there preaching the gospel, making Christian videos. And I'm like, man, I want to do that because they had a lot of followers. And, you know, Frankly, my engagement on other apps like Instagram and Facebook was low, but when I saw that I could get 20,000 followers in a month, I was pretty attracted to uh, TikTok. And so, sure enough, I began preaching the, the gospel, making prayer videos, making teaching videos, and my following grew very large, very quick. And about eight months after I began doing that, I had a vision one night that I was in full-time ministry. I was no longer a police officer. And I began to weep, and I knew that the Lord was calling me to be a missionary to America. And uh, I, my wife and I prayed. We had peace about the Word, and so we put our house up for sale. I quit my job. I was making over $100,000 a year as a cop. And we, we walked away from all of that to become unpaid missionaries, and uh, we've been doing that for two and a half years now, and it's been a, it's been a wild ride. Now, I want you to talk about walking in freedom and entering rest. Explain that. Yeah, so uh, with this chapter, you know, I, I, I just got done talking about, you know, all the ways that we wield our sword and that we war in the spirit, so to speak. But for many people, um, I find that it's hard, and even for myself in seasons, and I've had to really be intentional about this, it can be hard to just rest. It can be hard to rest and walk in the peace and joy of the Lord because many people go from uh, event to event, whether that's good or bad. Many people, they go through a hard time, and then it's very hard for them to enjoy just living a normal life without having to war or go through any trials because they're waiting for the next trial to come. So it's like they're bracing for impact. And when you're bracing for impact, you're not at rest, you're tense, and you can't just walk in the joy and the, the peace of the Lord. And so this chapter really exists to equip people who are maybe out there doing it, you know, uh, fighting supernatural battles. And, um, and what I mean by that is they're praying, they're, they're walking through trials, but they're staying, you know, in faith. And doing that can be tiring, and I want to equip people when they come out of that battle to learn how to rest and learn how to walk in the joy of the Lord and not just live battle to battle because that's exhausting. And uh, when you get really exhausted, you can lose heart. And I don't want anyone to lose heart. And now it's time to talk about uh, this interesting topic at the end of your book, leaning on God's grace and learning to endure. Yeah, this chapter really is about um, when God has called you into something, to uh, walk into it with confidence. Um, you know, I discuss how I was a part of an organization that was great, and I felt the Lord calling me out of it. And that could be very uncomfortable, even if it's fun, because it's another, you know, new step. It's another unknown. And I really wanted to invite people to be able to uh, walk into a season, um, whether they're walking into something or away from something, by believing that they're hearing God's voice above everything else. 
And uh, that's really the most important thing. You know, God will call us to do things that are very uncomfortable. Sometimes he'll call us to do things that we really want to do. Uh, Whether it's one or the other, I just want people to make sure that they believe they're hearing God. And if you go in faith, then you can't lose. And really, that's the point of this chapter. Shane, uh, I want to go back to the very beginning of your book, uh, because I think it would be uh, timely. You talk about being willing to face the truth. Uh, How does that transfer to people listening today? What can you tell them? You know, um, the Bible talks about this theme of humility. And a person who is humble, um, God loves. You know, God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. And so uh, us as Christians, we should never pretend or fool ourselves into thinking that we have it all together just because maybe we're living a a great life and we're, we're trying to be obedient as best we can. What's more important is that we keep a humble heart, because then um, you have the ability to be corrected. You have the ability to be taught and led and guided. And God is a Father, and He wants to do all of those things. And so for the everyday person who's listening, if you maintain a humble heart and you just say, God, please show me, you know, what you want for my life. Show me if there's any areas of my life that you want to change or you want to do something different with, you know, show me if there's any areas in my life that I haven't surrendered to you. Show me if there's any issues in my life. If you maintain that humble heart, God will show you. And as a result of that, you'll be able to walk closer with him, hear his voice better and obey, which is ultimately the goal of our lives is to hear God's voice and boldly follow. And that's, that's the subtitle of my book. Uh, here is one other topic. Um, I think it affects all of us, escaping a but-first life. Uh, uh, Translate that for us. Yeah, that was, you know, what I referred to a little bit earlier of these people in the Bible who Jesus asked if uh, they they would follow him, and they said, yes, Lord, I'll follow you, but first, you know, let me do this. But first, let me go bury my father. But first, let me do this. And they missed out on following our Lord and Savior because they had something better to do first. And my goal with that portion of this book was to encourage us to see the mistakes that have been made before us so that we don't repeat them. I never want to be a person who God asks me something and I say, yes, Lord, I will, but first let me do this. You know, if God's asking me something, He's God. I can rest assured that whatever he's asking me to do is more important than what I think I need to do first. And so I want my first answer to be yes to God, and I'll figure everything else out along the way. Tell me this, Shane. What do you want people to take from your book and from this discussion? Um, You know, above all, I just want people to feel like no matter where they're at, what their occupation is, how long they've been walking with the Lord. One, I want you to feel like you have something to offer the world, that God actually wants to use you. And that's the first step, is believing that God actually wants to use you. And and you can't use the excuse, well, you know, I'm not that guy or that girl. I'm not that pastor. I'm not that influencer. No, you were valuable to God, so much so that he sent Jesus to pay the price for your life. And so now that you are alive in him, what are you going to allow him to do through your life? I need people to believe that they can be used by God to do miraculous things. And so this book teaches to equip people, one, in their identity as a Christian, and two, practical examples, practical applications in equipping through teaching and preaching of how to go about it. Because there are many people who might listen and say, well, I believe God would use me. I don't know how to be used by God. I believe this book also helps answer that question of how can I be used by God. And so uh, I think it will help a lot of people across a wide spectrum. Well, Shane, it's wonderful to visit with you. And uh, I congratulate you on a very, very meaningful book. Let me give you the information, folks. Shane Winnings is the author. The book, Your Next Leap of Faith, 
how to hear God's voice and boldly follow. You're listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We have another section. Stay with us. Another segment right here on AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. The Power Hour, well, we've been doing it for many, many years and always enjoy getting together with you and always enjoy uh, talking to fascinating guests like Shane Winnings. Again, the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We will be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. Now, here's Pat. Shane Winnings, our guest in that first segment, uh, talking about his book, Your Next Leap of Faith, How to Hear God's Voice and Boldly Follow. Alex McFarland is with us, uh, and I'm so pleased. He's, his book is out, 100 Bible Questions and Answers for Families. Alex, first of all, welcome to Orlando, and I'm uh, looking forward to this chat very much. Well, th- thank you very much. Uh, I wish that in North Carolina we could have some of the weather that I would assume you're enjoying there in Orlando. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, tell me about this book and how it came about and why you wrote it. Uh, well, thanks very much. Um, it's really kind of a follow-up to 100 Bible Questions and Answers that we put out two and a half years ago. Uh, for 14 years, I've had the privilege of doing a live radio program called Exploring the Word. And these are just actual questions from actual radio listeners. And, uh, you know, there, there's so much going on, Pat, about morals and children growing up here in America, and marriage, parenting, family. So what we did from the last two years, we just took questions. It was actually going to be 200 Bible questions, because we have a lot of uh, record of radio call-in questions. But we took 100. We tried to make it a little more manageable. And it's, it's really what the Word of God has to say on a lot of subjects but especially family and parenting, because because I personally believe that really the, the the great need for our nation is a restoration of the family, and we pray God will use this book to that end. Alex, uh, I'm going to take uh, questions randomly and uh, pitch them to you, and uh, you fill us in a little bit, and then we'll move to the next one. So I want I want our listeners to get a little sampling here. Okay, here we go. Why are there so many versions of the Bible? How do I know which version to use? Great question. And, you you know, Pat, we get that question a lot. Uh, When I speak at university campuses, very very often um, skeptics and sometimes um, Muslims will fault Christianity in that there's so many, at least in English, there seem to be so many translations. And for those that haven't really read the Bible, there's the assumption that the various translations mean that they're saying all different things. As as many people know, the Bible was originally written in Hebrew and Greek. The Old Testament was in Hebrew, the New Testament predominantly in the Greek language. And what a translation is is a word exchange program. And the biggest translation in English history has been the King James Version from 1611. Uh, But, you know, people don't speak in Elizabethan English anymore. So to the question, why are there so many translations? Well, publishers and translators are forever working to make the Bible accessible. And there are English translations, Spanish, uh, various Asian, Chinese, Japanese, uh, Thai, you name it, India, Bimba, Hindi, you know, uh, every language group, every ethnicity, hopefully, to have God's Word in their heart language that they can understand. But what, what I want to say as emphatically as possible, regardless of the the recipient language, Hebrew and Greek are the what we call donor language, but the recipient language, English, Spanish, whatever, it still says what it says for 
God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son, uh, whether it be John 3.16 or Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, uh, I would encourage people, don't let the proliferation of translations make you assume that the Bible is not preserved and understandable for us today. It is, and its message points us to Christ Jesus. Alex McFarland is our guest. We're talking about his wonderful book. It's a must for you folks, 100 Bible Questions and Answers for Families. Okay, here's another one. How could Moses have written the book of Deuteronomy if it records his death? (laughs) There's an interesting one. Well, and you know, that is one of the uh, interesting things that uh, there are a couple of options. And really, before we even talk about, you know, who wrote the last few verses of of the, the fifth book of the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Here's a question we pose. Uh, could God have given a message through his appointed messengers, and could God have preserved that message for us today? And the answer is, of course, you know, Almighty God, he preserves the trillions of copies of our DNA, every human walking the planet. Um, He could preserve the several thousand words that are in the Bible. And so, for one thing, uh, Jewish history and the Bible itself and the words of Christ affirm what we call mosaic authorship of the Pentateuch. In other words, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Now, the verses that reference Moses' death and burial it could have been prophetic. God could have said to Moses, okay, here's what you write, uh, and by the way, you're going to wander off into the mountains, and God will bury your body once you've expired. But probably, uh, probably though, Joshua wrote it, um, and here's a word that scholars use, the word emanuensis. And emanuensis, is a stenographer, basically somebody who takes down something dictated to them or something given to them from another source, uh, very probably since it records something that would have happened after Moses' physical death. It was probably, um, you know, part of the final part of Deuteronomy, but probably written down by Joshua, Moses' successor. Alex McFarland is with us answering questions from his book, 100 Bible Questions and Answers for Families. Okay, Alex, here we go. How could David be a man after God's own heart, even though he committed adultery? Great question. Greatest king of Israel, the beloved shepherd boy, the one who slew Goliath, the the great hymnist, you know, the, the song writer and the psalmist, King David. By the way, if you go to Israel, and maybe we'll get to lead another tour there. I led a tour there a couple of years ago. We can go to the, the one of David's uh, residences. There is um, in the uh, old city, they've excavated the palace of King David that overlooks the Kidron Valley. And you know, what's amazing is um, they found... Uh, a, a fragment of Psalm 119 there in the city of David. And Psalm 119, very famously, is an homage to the Word of God. One of my favorite verses, uh, David wrote, Psalm 119.93, I will never forget thy words, for through them I found life. So how could a man who w- lusted after Bathsheba, committed adultery with Bathsheba, put a hit on Uriah uh, and arrange for Uriah's murder because Bathsheba was carrying David's uh, child. How could this person be called a man after God's own heart? Several things could be said, Pat, but um, the main thing is the grace of God. (laughs) How, How could we sinners be called children of God, sons and daughters of the king, and, and let me let me say this, and this this can be hard for the world to understand, but there are those 
that outwardly look godly but aren't, and there are those that from a human perspective look ungodly but may be godly. The, the reality is with salvation, when you put your faith in Jesus the Messiah, positionally you are in Christ. The righteousness of Christ is attributed to the believer. This is in Romans chapter 4. This is in Habakkuk chapter 2. Now, a a follower of the Lord should live godly, but a follower of God can do things that are ungodly, as David did. But the thing about God's grace is, even if a, a believer sins, while their fellowship with God can be interrupted, their position as saved, redeemed, is intact. And so David did repent. Nathan the prophet came, bravest man in the whole Old Testament. Nathan goes before the king, points at him and says, you are the man. Mm. You have sinned and God knows it. And David repented and wept. So um, being a Christian doesn't mean somebody never sins, although we shouldn't. We should try to avoid sin. But even a believer can sin, but when the Holy Spirit convicts them of that sin, as David did, we should repent and seek God's forgiveness. We've got about a little over a minute before the break. Why does God permit natural disasters like hurricanes, earthquakes, and tsunamis? Well, and and do you know, Pat, in writing 20 books, interviewing not only hundreds of radio listeners, but skeptics, scholars, people around the world, the number one question, why do bad things happen? Uh, Moral evil is humans hurting other humans, murder, theft. Natural evils are hurricanes, earthquakes. Uh, We live in a world where man has exercised his free will. We knew the right, we did the wrong, we've disobeyed God. And the flood came... The, the weather patterns and the behaviors of this planet are largely due to the flood of Noah, which was a judgment on sin. But God's in the process of restoring and redeeming this world, and um, we, we have free will, and it all comes down to sin. It really does. Now, people look at the world, they say, things ought not be this way. Good news is God looks at the world and says, that's right, and that's why I'm going to fix it, and God is in the process of fixing and making all things new. This is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Our guest is Alex McFarland. You're listening to AM 990, FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. More with Alex McFarland. First, these messages. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Alex McFarland is our guest. We're talking about his book, 100 Bible Questions and Answers for Families. Okay, Alex, it's time to dive into the Holy Spirit. Will we be able to see the Holy Spirit in heaven? What, what, do, what do you yeah. think? What do you think? I don't know about that. Uh, I don't. I don't really know about that. Um, it might be the Shekinah glory of God, but uh, as God has revealed Himself, and this is Christian theology, but I think it's true. This is reality. Uh, there is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, one God, eternally existing in three persons: God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Not three gods, one God, but three centers of consciousness. And and this is one of the great mysteries. And by the way, Pat, let me just say this. One of the reasons that I believe Christianity is true, there are a lot of reasons, but I, I truly think that, that there are two things that are absolutely unique to Christianity that n- no other belief system has anything even remotely like this. There are a lot of things. One of which is, for example, imputed righteousness, that if we put our faith in Jesus, the standard for heaven that we don't have and and we can't earn righteousness, 
but it's it's accredited, imparted to us. The righteousness of, of Jesus is ours the minute we believe. That's utterly unique. There's no other belief system that has anything like the idea of God's righteousness gracefully, freely given to the believer. But something else, Pat, is the Christian teaching of the Trinity. Um, not only in all of religion, but in all of philosophy even. There, there's nothing comparable, there's nothing like the Christian idea of the Trinity. And and I don't think humans, quote, invented the Trinity, because I, I don't think any human could. Um, n- none of the greatest philosophers in history, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Thomas Aquinas, no, nobody has anything they've ever dreamed up that's like the Christian biblical notion of the Trinity, but yet that's how God has revealed himself. One God, eternally existent as Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Now, to the question, will we be able to see the Holy Spirit in heaven? Uh, we, We simply don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. What I personally think, at, at the very least, we, we know the presence of the Holy Spirit down here. And there, there are a lot of ways to be aware of the reality of something. You can hear a sound. You can smell an aroma. You can feel warmth. And every Christian who's ever been in a worship service where God was just so wonderfully present, knows what it's like to be in the presence of the Holy Spirit. In heaven, away from sin, away from the fall, away from any obstruction, maybe we'll experience the Holy Spirit in, in a way far more powerful than even vision. Um, so uh, will we experience, feel, know the Holy Spirit in heaven? Absolutely, times a hundred. But will that mean a uh, vision to, you know, see with our eyes? Uh, Probably, but this side of heaven, I don't know that we can even adequately imagine what that's going to be like. Alex McFarland is with us. We're talking about his book, 100 Bible Questions and Answers for Families, Alex, here's the next one. Should I have my children attend public school, go to a Christian school, or be homeschooled? Well, I'm only speaking for myself here. And, you know, my my mother was a public school teacher for 28 years. My sister was for 20 years. My sister-in-law currently is, uh, although she's working to get out of it. So I'm only going to speak for myself. Uh, But I'm going to say this, as one that loves the Lord, and I love Christian truth, and I absolutely love the United States of America, I I say no. I I just don't believe that any dedicated Christian family should have their children in public schools for for a lot of reasons. Um, And and look, I, I correspond with people that are uh, involved in, in teachers' unions and school boards and curriculum publishing. I mean, we, we've talked with a lot of people. American public education has become so militantly secular um, from not just revisionist history, denigrating America, but something that has infected infected um, educational theory, and uh, really the word is educational pedagogy, uh, it, it's critical theory that everything is about the oppressed and the oppressor. And so the question for any parent, should I have my child in public school? Well, the question is, uh, what do you want the outcome to be of you raising your child for 18 years? Mm. If you want um, someone who probably is not going to be a follower of Christ and probably will never know what America is like and probably will not succeed and be all that they could be for God and country. In other words, if you just want your child to be a normal 
atheistic socialist, sure, keep your child in public school. But if you want your child to make a mark for God and country and to do what humans were made to do, and that is to grow and become a soul who knows the true and living God and does things that will bear fruit in this life and in eternity, then lose at anything else but win with your child's education. Mm. Now, this might mean private school, classical education, homeschooling, but um, if, if you love your child, for God's sake, get them out of these public schools because the public schools are beyond hope and beyond help. And I, 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 it took me 25 years to come to this. Mm. Up until just a couple of years ago, I always held out hope. But I'm telling you, I know, I'm thinking right now in Tennessee, I know the superintendent of a public school uh, system in Tennessee, and they would say, get your kids out of the public school. Wow. Um, wow. Wow. So uh, if, if you don't love your child, Sure, leave them in public school to be programmed uh, to hate God and America. But if you love your child and you believe that the, the most sacred stewardship you have as a parent is your child's mind and heart and soul, then you have other educational options and you must avail yourself to them. What does the Bible say about drinking alcohol? Is it a sin? Well, you know, this is a good question. And, and again, I'm only going to speak as Alex McFarland. I'm not speaking on behalf of anybody else. But it's, it's an area of Christian liberty. Um, now, the Bible is clear, clear that drunkenness is a sin. Do not become drunk with wine. But the Lord, uh, in his first miracle at the marriage of Cana in Galilee, Jesus turned water to wine. And, and it, it was wine. It wasn't merely grape juice. It was wine. Now, Paul says this. And, and by the way, this is one of those areas where the Bible, it's interesting. The Bible tells us enough to give us assurance, but it's, it's clear enough that we can arrive at a position, but it's vague enough to sort of, shall we say, keep us on our toes, right? Uh, Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are beneficial or expedient. You can be a born-again Christian and drink wine, and, and you're saved, and you're not lost. I'm not going to take a legalistic position and say that a Christian can't drink wine. Uh, they can. I mean, you know, Pat, as you and I are doing radio, today is the day that 60 years ago today, C.S. Lewis died, uh, November 22nd, 1963. And uh, my goodness, C.S. Lewis was one of the most influential Christians probably ever, and certainly in the top I would argue the two, the two most influential Christians of the 20th century, one was Billy Graham, the other was hands down C.S. Lewis. And yet Lewis was uh, very vocal about his love of a, a, a pint of ale and a good whiskey. And he was C.S. Lewis. So a, a Christian can drink. However, um, and I think this is for every individual person, the question is, are you convicted about it? And if you're convicted that it's wrong, um, the Bible says whatever is not of faith is sin. The other thing, there's a witness and influence. And um, for whatever reason, America views alcohol very differently than a lot of other countries. You know, and I, I've traveled the world, and, and it's interesting. I mean, I've been in you know, Europe and South Africa, and there will be uh, wine at a meal. But people don't just do it to excess. And, you know, in in my life, I, I don't have time or interest in, in drinking. Um, 
And plus, it's a witness, and I don't, I don't ever, you know, God forbid that anybody would ever say, well, Alex McFarland does it, so I, it must be okay. So for a lot of reasons, you know, my wife and I personally have chosen to abstain. But Spurgeon, Spurgeon smoked cigars. <laughs> and he, I mean, Charles Spurgeon, great Baptist preacher, but he, he talked about loving a good sherry and a cigar. But he was going through London one day, and there was a sign in a tobacco store. A tobacconist uh, said, we sell the same cigar Spurgeon smokes. And Spurgeon <laughs> was convicted, and he thought that would be a bad influence, so he stopped. So you know, I, I would say it's, it's a matter of your conscience, and be very careful. Uh, whomever would hear this, be very careful to follow how the Holy Spirit guides your conscience. Alex McFarland has been our guest. Get that book, folks. It's a must. 100 Bible Questions and Answers for Families. You're plugged in and you have been listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. Have a wonderful week ahead. God bless you. And we'll, we'll, we'll be back next weekend for more good talk. Hang in there. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this time, where faith comes by hearing. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.